Let us pray. Our precious Father, we just want to thank you for the privilege we have tonight to study your word and uh, to be taught by your spirit. We trust you, faithful Father, that you open our ears, open our understanding, so that we'll understand this very important thing that you are teaching us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So as I intro, I want to make it clear that uh, teaching means to explain. Why preaching means just to declare. So in Bible studies, we endeavor to explain. That's what it is. We came to study. So we take time to explain these very important topics. You know, I, I, I came to understand really why people don't know God a lot. Because in the last family forum we had, listening, I realized, was an issue. And so if we don't listen to one another, obviously we don't also listen to God. And because we don't listen to God, the word of God does not enter us. So it leaves us void. Totally void. And we fill in ourselves with what we think, imagine it should be, and what people are talking, people like us won't listen to the word of God. Denominational doctrines and all this kind of stuff. And at the end of the day, we lose. Because if it's not the truth, it won't work for you. If it's not the truth, you can carry 20 years, argue about it, it won't work for you. So, because people don't really usually listen, so it's important to keep explaining. Because you know how important that thing is to them. They may not know it, but you know. So you keep explaining, you keep teaching. In 1 Timothy 4, 6, if you explain these things to the brothers and sisters, can James say, if you remind them, Timothy, you will be a worthy servant of Christ Jesus, one who is nourished by the message of faith and the good teaching you have followed. If you explain it to them. Some are always in a hurry because they don't know the value. But you should know. You should explain it. Take time and explain it. Peter says it takes time for this world to penetrate people. And so we, we I always advise pastors and Bible teachers, there is need to be patient. Don't hurry this thing. It's, it's, it's somebody's destiny that has been shaped by the word of God. They, again, like they may not appreciate it. They may have had it before. Don't worry about that. Just keep doing what you're doing. Have you realized how you've read the scripture and one day somebody is preaching the same thing? You say, wow. Yeah, because that's when you penetrated. If you listen before, it would have penetrated. And if you don't listen, you have revelation. Listening means it's important to you. So I always advise, and can the school teachers be patient and teach this thing? Please teach it with all diligence. And then you realize how important it is because you see the result. If you give it the diligence, it requires. First Timothy 4.16 says, take it to yourself and to the doctrine. It's no joking matter when it comes to doctrinal issues. Paul said, take it to yourself, Timothy, my son, and to the doctrine. Continue in them. For in doing this, you will save both yourself and those who hear you. And don't forget that demons are after blocking people's ears, confusing people with all manner of demonic doctrines. And a lot of things they've heard before, half of which is just joke, joke. And like I said before, preaching is really spiritual confrontation. It's not just merely talking. If, you, if you're a preacher and a teacher, you must pray hard. Spend time and pray. 
get the victory before you start preaching. Because there, is, there are a lot of things blinding people, confusing people, distracting them while you are preaching. A lot of things that could be dismantled. So preaching is not, it's not just a church program. It's a major, major assignment. And we people that preach must sit in that light and make sure that you really get yourself prepared and that you know what you're talking about. You're not feeding the people your own imaginations and deceit. So having said that, we are, and again, God's, God's revelation is progressive. The more you listen, the more it's progressive. Now, having said that, our righteousness is our topic. So we'll go back and talk about it because this is a very important topic. This is why a lot of Christians, the devil will lay them. And if you don't get this thing right, you, your faith won't work. There's no circumventing it. The issue of righteousness is key to your relationship with God. Because that's the reason you draw nigh to God. That's the reason you come and you believe God for anything. So you, you must understand your grounds and basis of your righteousness. You must. It's important. So that you embrace it and see the result in your life. So we say that righteousness is having right standing with God. Being approved of God. We say that righteousness means being acceptable to God. And there are two ways a person can make himself righteous before God. Number one, he makes himself righteous, called self-righteousness. So he makes himself righteous. But you know it's an impossible route anyway. The Bible says it's obvious. He said by the deeds of the law, no man can be righteous before God. He says it's obvious. You know it's obvious. You know, I know it's obvious because my life hasn't been 100% holy. So you know he haven't been. So you can't make yourself acceptable to God because when we talk of righteousness, we're not talking about I'm trying. It's not I'm trying, no. It's not I'm better than last year. No, no. It's 100%. Sinless status. God does not accept I'm trying. It is 100%. And without Christ, you can do nothing. So when you start to try to think you can, all this self-righteous teaching and stuff like that, how far can the flesh go? The flesh will profit us nothing. And so we say there is a righteousness that God makes you righteous himself. Because it's impossible for man to make himself righteous. And God knows that. So God makes us righteous. That's the second way. That God makes us righteous. So we are going to see how God really makes us righteous again. Again, there are some people who mix grace and works. So they stay confused. So they, they say, yeah, Christ is helping me to be righteous, to do the will of God. And at the back of their mind, what they are counting for acceptance is what they are doing. At the back of their mind, they still believe that it is what they do that makes God accept them. Which is not true. It's not true. Because the Bible said, by the deeds of the Lord shall no man be accepted. Now, so, so yeah, Christ is helping me. So, ah, I trust the Lord, though. <laughs> you know. But their confidence is on their, what they do, what they think they do. Even though they say, yeah, Christ is helping. And Christ helps us. He does. But their confidence is really not on Christ when they approach God. It's their level of self uh, holiness and their perception of how good they are 
So that's what they package and bring to God. And leave Christ out of it. When you come to God without Christ, I don't know how far you go. So people really are confused about righteousness and, and how it should be. And they think, oh, it should make people commit sin. It's not true. Actually, like I said before, it's the reverse. Without it, you can't live holy. Period. You just cannot. And the Bible says, if righteousness comes from the Lord, then Christ died in vain. So all that mixture is what, if you listen to these teachings and listen to the scripture, it will clarify it for you. So you understand properly the basis of your righteousness is not what you do. At all. It's not what you do. Now, the problem is really our sin. Basically, it's our sin. The fact that no man can atone for his sin, make himself sinless, becomes a, strag- a staggering problem before everybody. It's our sin that is the problem. Because Isaiah 59 says, it is your sins that have cut you off from God. That's what caused off intimacy with God. That's what says, God, you are not acceptable. There's no... There's no, there is no fellowship with God. It's your sin that has cut you off from God. Because of your sins, he has turned away and will not listen anymore. So the problem that was, that's being solved here is, is sin. The problem that's being solved is sin. God does not behold iniquity. Whether it is in your eyes, small sin or big sin. That's what I'm saying. If you think it's because of what you've done, and you have, the ones you haven't done, it's enough to knock you out. With God, you don't have to cut ten times. Once. It's not ten times. Once. God does not behold sin. At all. Adam did not commit adultery. Look at scripture. Habakkuk. One thirteen, but you are pure, you are, you are pure and cannot stand the sight of evil. That is God's nature. God, can, if evil comes, He consumes it right away. There is no, there is no fellowship between darkness and light. God does not see evil, does not stand it. He brings instant. Con- you read the Old Testament, the Old Testament, you see what happened to people who come, try to come before his presence, and they consume them. If the Old Testament high priest walks in there with sin, he dies right away. It, it doesn't, God, and, God and evil, they don't mix. You don't even do. They, they don't mix. You, you need to understand these things very well. So that it helps you to understand why you can't be righteous before, before God. You can't make it. So you say, God does not, cannot stand the sight of evil. And will you wink at their treachery? Say, you think God is looking at you and then, no. Now, let's remind ourselves some of the hard truths we seem to forget while we are claiming self-righteousness. We forget them. You know calling God a liar is sin? And the Bible says when you walk in unbelief, you are calling God a liar. 
That's God's definition of unbelief. If you are looking God in the face and say, yeah, this thing you say is not true. I can't trust it. And you remember that it's unbelief that finished Israelites. It's unbelief. And the Bible warned us about that unbelief thing. Look at scripture now. First John 1 10. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a lie. And his word is not enough. If we claim we are sinless, the Bible says we are a bunch of liars. And we're calling God a liar. So even that, even that self-righteousness is an insult to God. That's why it's fitting, right? Somebody coming before God and say, I'm sinless. God say you're a liar. Not me, you. But by saying that, you are saying to God, you're a liar. First John 5, he that believeth on the Son of God had the witness in himself. He that believeth not God, he that does not believe God, his word, had made him a lie. Because he believeth not the record that God gave of his son. So we don't believe God. What can I believe? Yeah, that's the Holy Spirit writing this thing. And we do that. All of us. All of us. And it doesn't mean anything to us. You know, we do a lot of things that we don't even understand the gravity. But that doesn't remove the fact that it is sin. It's evil. Hebrew 3.12. Take it, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief. They cause it evil. Evil heart of unbelief. In departing from the living God. It doesn't make you righteous. It doesn't bring you. It, it, it makes, it, it creates separation. For two cannot work together. Except they are good. And in the Bible, Jesus told us something that we should remember. In Matthew 19, 17. And he said unto him, why callest thou me good? There is none good but one. You see, Jesus gave the glory to his father. Not because he wasn't perfect, but he gave the honor to his father. Not because he was sinful. But he said, don't give me this glory because it's the father in me that doeth everything. All this good you see me do is the father in me. It's my father doing everything. And that's how we should give him the glory and say, everything you see is Christ in me. Doing everything. So he said, he said to him, Why callest thou me good? There is none good but one. That is God. So that should be our testament. There is none good but one. That's Jesus. First Samuel 2 2. No one is holy like the Lord. There is no one besides you. There is no rock like our God. And we sing it. There is none holy as thy Lord. After, I was singing it with tears, you know. <laughs> and yet we claim that we are as righteous as God. When we claim our self-righteousness, that will bring us before God. We are saying, don't have any sin. Perfect. There is none. As holy as God. There is none. You see, none. Isaiah 64 says, 
but we all are as an unclean thing, for all our righteousness are as filthy rags. We all do fade as leaf, that our iniquity, like the wind, have taken us away. Romans 3 9. Well then, should we conclude that we Jews are better than others? No, not at all. For we have already shown that all people, whether Jews or Gentiles, are under the power of sin. Verse 10, as the scripture says, no one is righteous, not even one. But should we remember these things? How about this one? James 3, 8, but the tongue no man can tame. Oh, before you think your self-righteousness is awesome, think of this. God says you can't tame it. The tongue no man can tame. It is an unreal evil full of deadly poison. You know, talk of the, James said, if you fail in one, you are failed in all of them. So why does it leave us? Where does it really leave us? The reality is that even the Old Testament system couldn't make man righteous. And that was the fault God found with it. Couldn't make man righteous. In Romans 8, 3, he said the law of Moses was unable to save us because of the weakness of our sinful nature. The law could not make us righteous. So try to conjure that you are righteous from obeying the Lord's first time. Could not make us righteous. See, because of our sinfulness. So God did what the law could not do. God Himself provided us righteousness. Hebrews 7 19. For the law never made anything perfect. But now we have a confidence in a better hope through which we draw nigh. You can't draw light to God through obeying the laws and what you do. There is another means through which we draw light to God. James 2.10. For whosoever shall keep the whole law and yet offend in one point, he is guilty of all. So God found fault with the Old Testament system because he could not deal with the problem of sin. He could not make anybody perfect or be accepted. By God. Again, Paul said, if righteousness comes from the Lord, then Christ died in vain. Then, so you know, God so loved his creation so much that he desired fellowship with us. Love desires, com desires company. Love desires company. If, if you love somebody, you want to be with the person. That's how people get together and start wanting to marry. They stay together. So I want you to spend my life with me because you love the person. So love, God craves us, just like he went to Adam and Eve and was spending time with them. God's love craves us, for God so loved the world. God loves us. His love, by nature, craves us, you know? So the Old Testament couldn't give him what he wanted. He couldn't bring man to him. The best the Old Testament did was to give a man very severely limited access to God. God shut himself up in the altar, in the inner altar, with a curtain. And they couldn't approach him. 
So all the things they were doing, all the sacrifice, the Ten Commandments, nothing could make them break. If they came there, they would die. They can't come there because God doesn't behold the iniquity, remember. The high priest will do sacrifice for himself first before he goes in there. And they put, tie something on his leg. Because if he goes in there, we see he dies. And nobody will go and bring him out. They have to pull him out. So that's how far the Old Testament system went. He didn't give God what he wanted. And yet God put it in place. So why should God put it in place? Because God wanted to use it to teach us the real thing coming. If we didn't know about priesthood, how do we know about Christ's priesthood? If we didn't see the sacrifice, how, would, how do we understand the sacrifice on the cross? So God used it as a shadow. So that when he's teaching the real thing, we have references to understand it. That's why. Not because it will make anybody. Ten commandments wasn't given to make anybody perfect. It was actually always given, so they revealed that we are sinful people. The Bible says it's a schoolmaster to lead us to Christ. Where we can be made righteous. So God found fault with that. And then this is what he said. Hebrews 8, 7 to 10. For if that first covenant had been faultless, no one would have needed a second one to replace it. But God revealed the, the, the defect and limitation of the first of the first, where he said to his people, Look, the day will come. See, this is not working. The day will come, declares the Lord, when I will satisfy the people of Israel and Judah by giving them a new covenant. It will be an entirely different covenant than the one I made with their fathers when I led them by my hands out of Egypt. For they did not remain faithful to my covenant, so I rejected them. Why? Because there was nothing to deal with their unfaithfulness. There was nothing to deal with their sinfulness. The blood of our animals couldn't deal with it. Neither the Ten Commandments, nothing in that system could deal with the sins of man. So God says, I, I couldn't fellowship with them because I consumed them. Nothing. Remember now that God put it in place so that when we start to teach the reality, which is Christ, we can understand. We can understand. So he said, he said, uh, he said because of their faithfulness, I could not continue with them. It's nothing. Nothing to deal with it. Okay, so he said, um, for they did not remain faithful to my covenant, so I rejected them, said the Lord God. For, they are, they are, for here is the covenant I will one day establish with the people of Israel. Number one, I, God, will embed my laws within their thoughts, fasten them unto their hearts. And he did, for the love of God is shed abroad, in our heart, and the love is the sum total of the God, God's law. He did. Not in things written on stone, but in our heart by the Holy Spirit. He did. The Spirit of God is enough to give a revelation about the will of God. 
to guide us to the will of God. They didn't have the Spirit of God. They didn't have it. That's why if you're under the guidance of the Spirit, you're no more under the law. They didn't have it. You don't go to the inferior covenant and waste your time. I will be their loyal God, and they will be my loyal people. And the result of this will be that everyone will know me as Lord. I'm going to reveal myself to them. Know me as Lord. There will be no need at all to teach their fellow citizens or brothers by saying, you should know Yahweh. Since everyone will know me inwardly from the most unlikely to the most distinguished. Now, it's not saying that there shouldn't be teachers because God put in the church teachers. What he's saying is that you have a self, um, a system in you that gives you revelation. Like the scripture says that the Holy Spirit is there to reveal to us things that are freely given to us. So we have that capability to know the, the things that we don't see, even though we don't see them, to understand them. Now, let me continue. This is very, very, very amazing. Then he hits it. The real foundation of all of this comes. For I will demonstrate my mercy to them. Grace. And will forgive their deeds. That sin, I'm going to forgive it, take it out of the way and draw them to me. And make them righteous myself. He say, but they don't qualify. He say, yeah, I'm showing mercy. <laughs> I'll demonstrate my mercy. And will forgive their evil deeds. And never again remember their sins. Never. That's why he said, they will not be my loyal people. Not because they are perfect, because it's great mercy. But I will teach them my way. I will teach them my I will lead them by my spirit. This proves that by establishing this new covenant, the first is now obsolete. Ready to expire. They're about to disappear. You know, people approach God based on the Old Testament and they draw zero. It's so tempting to do that. Get frustrated. Prayers not answered, no. Because it's like trying to buy something with a spare card. The Bible says it's obsolete. That's no more the way to go to God. Even when Jesus came, the Bible says Jesus is the end of the law. He stopped it. To establish this new covenant based on forgiveness, based on mercy. And if you read it, you see all the things he's talking here. God says, I will do this. I will do this. He hasn't assigned anything to them. All of it is what God says. I will do I'll put my laws in their hands. I will do this. I will forgive them. I will show them mercy. It's all what God says I will do. 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 Why are you dealing with God? He said, I'm showing my mercy to them. Why? For God so loved the world. I love this word. I love it. Hebrew 10, 16. This is the covenant that I will make with them after those days. Okay, this is a repetition of it. I will put my laws in their hand, their minds, and I will write them. God said, I will write them. Then he asked their sins and their lawless deeds. I will remember no more. And so God promised to take away our sins 
and make us righteous. If the sin is taken away, nothing is between you and God anymore. Nothing. <laughs> Absolutely nothing. That's when God took away the sins of the whole world, paid for it. He ripped the, he ripped the curtain, so you don't need this sin anymore. Come unto me, all of you. <laughs> come unto me, all of you that are heavily laden. Come, come, come. Everybody should come. So the prophets began to prophesy about this plan of God to make us acceptable to him, to bring us do you realize now that if you understand this, you can go to God boldly anytime? You can go to God boldly. You will expect, your, your, fear to, your expectation will reach the highest level. I see it happening. So every blessing God gives you is based on this covenant. All of it. So the prophet began to prophesy about it through word of wisdom. And I told you people that word of wisdom. It's not the wisdom to deal with general affairs of life, how to marry and do those It's not that wisdom. Every Christian should have that kind of common wisdom that God gave to Solomon, the one you pray in the book of James. Every Christian should have. But not every Christian manifests the word of wisdom. Because one of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Just like not every Christian has the gift of healing. So not every Christian has the word of knowledge, the word of wisdom. Word of wisdom is what... But prophets really have it. Because God said, am I going to do anything without first revealing it to my prophets? So one of the signs of a real prophet is that he gives, the, he operates the word of wisdom. When he does that, the word of wisdom is having insight into the plans and purposes of God. Plans and purposes of God. Plans and purposes of God. For a people, for a place. And that's why people who are prophets, they, they, they behave, they're weird, weird, they're weird, I don't know what, weird or whatever. <laughs> they say where they are. If you read the Old Testament, it's the Old Testament prophet, they say where their life was. Because you see, they always like to stay low. Most of them. Because there's an anointing that oppresses in their life. And they're very sensitive to sin and something that gets out of the will of God. People think they're judgmental. They're not. There's something on them that's always giving them a revelation of the, the prophet is the eye and ear of the church. If you understand what the Holy Spirit is doing. If you know them. When they talk, you listen. And their ministry is not always uh, telling the future. It involves that in the word of wisdom. Because they must operate through revelation and gifts. That's not what I'm teaching. They must. But mostly, word of wisdom. So they can tell the future and word of knowledge, but that's not really their main calling. So you don't go to a prophet to ask him who to marry. It's unscriptural, it's unbiblical. They don't call for that. The Old Testament prophet was called for that because people didn't have the Spirit of God. Now we have the Spirit of God to guide us. And we should hear the voice of God, each one of us. So now, through this word of wisdom that they were operating, Isaiah, means many of them spoke about this thing. Isaiah said, Isaiah 56, he says, Thus says the Lord, 
keep justice and do righteousness. For my salvation is about to come. And my righteousness to be revealed. If I'm going to show them my salvation and show them the way I'm going to make them righteous, it's going to be revealed. Isaiah 45, 22. Let all the world look to me for salvation, for I am the Lord. There is no other. 23. I have sworn by my, my name. I have spoken the truth. I will never go back on my word. Every knee will bend to me. And every tongue will confess allegiance to me. The people will declare the Lord is the source of all my righteousness and strength. God says, the people will declare it. The people will declare it. That will be their testimony. The people will declare it. He said, I've sworn. Because I'm going to make them righteous. And all who were angry with him will come to him and be ashamed. And so the gospel announces this new way of making people righteous. The only way that can take away their sins. Present, past, future. Romans 1.16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth. What is the gospel teaching? To the Jew first, and also to the Greek. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed. What Isaiah said, that salvation is coming, righteousness will be revealed, the gospel is revealing it. There is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. Righteousness received only by faith. Received only by faith. Hebrews 7, 18. Yes, the old requirement about the priesthood was not what set aside because it was weak and useless. 19. For the law made nothing, made anything, did not make anything perfect. But now we have confidence in a better hope through which we draw nigh to God. You see, the law couldn't bring us to God. The law couldn't make anybody righteous. But there's a better hope that makes us righteous, acceptable to God, through which we can come to God, acceptable to him. And what is that hope? Jesus Christ, the hope of glory. Jesus Christ is that hope. In, in, in Colossians 1.27, to whom God will make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Remember what we read, Hebrews 7, 18, talks about, let me read it, Hebrews 7, 19. For the law made, never made anything perfect, but now we have a confidence in a better hope. The hope is defined for us in Colossians 1, 27, to whom God will make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of that glory of drawing nigh to God, of coming to God, of being accepted by God. It's Christ. That's the hope. Now look at Colossians 2 from verse 1. It tells us that God's plan to make us righteous, to make us acceptable is God. It's Christ. I want you to know how much I have agonized for you 
and for the church in Laodicea, and for many other believers who have never met me personally, I want them to be encouraged and need to gather by strong ties of love. I want them to have complete confidence that they understand God's mysterious plan. Paul calls, calls it this mystery among Gentiles. Cause it here again, the mysterious plan, which is Christ himself. In him, we, in him lie hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Now, God's plan of making us righteous is being manifested. Romans 3, 19. Obviously, the law applies to those to whom it was given. For its purpose is to keep people from having excuses and to show that the, whole, the entire world is guilty before God. The law exposes our sinfulness and proves that the whole world is actually guilty before God. Verse 20. For no one can ever be made right with God by doing what the law commands. The law simply shows us how sinful we are. 21. But now God has shown us a way to be made right with him without keeping the requirements of the law as was promised in the writings of Moses and the prophets long ago. We are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ, and this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are. For everyone has seen, as we said at the beginning, non-righteous, everyone has seen, We are we all fall short of God's glorious standard. 24. Yet God with undeserved kindness, showing mercy, undeserved kindness, declared that we are righteous. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty for our sins. 25. For God presented Jesus as a sacrifice for sin. The moment Christ was crucified, presented as sacrifice for sin. The issue of sin was solved. So we could come. The promised Messiah came, dealt with that which the law could not do. Let me read it again, verse 23. For everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard, 24. Yet God, with undeserved kindness, declares we are righteous. He did this through Christ Jesus. When he freed us from the penalty of our sins. Why? Jesus paid it all. He redeemed us from our sins. To redeem is he paid what we owe. When you pay what you owe, somebody goes free. He paid what we owe. He paid for our sins. And we're no more found guilty before God. So we could come to God. He made us righteous. He made us righteous. And if he didn't make us righteous and we didn't come to God, we will not receive the new life. We can't live holy. We can't live right. We can't do anything. Twenty-five. For God presented Jesus as a sacrifice for sin. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life. That's the way God made us righteous. The New Testament said it, prophets said it. Shedding his blood, 
This sacrifice shows that God was being fair when he heard back, did not push those who sinned in times. But that's what I was saying at the beginning. That people think, oh, it's my goodness. No, the Bible says, no, it's not your goodness. It's Christ and his blood that made you righteous. It's not your goodness. It's all over the Bible. The gospel, Paul said the gospel is proclaiming it. That which the prophets say will happen. It's now happened through Christ. Hebrews 10, 4. For it is not possible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. What took away sin? Behold the Lamb of God who take it away the sins of the world. Nothing else could take it away. You can't behave yourself into atoning for your sins, redeeming yourself. It's not possible. Sin is a very costly thing. Extremely expensive. It costs God resources. That's why I don't talk with it. It costs God resources. So that Hebrew force says, for it is not possible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. That is why when Christ came into the world, he said to God, you did not want animal sacrifices or sin offerings. Don't want any other offerings for sin. But you have given me a body to offer. Verses. You were not pleased with bond offering or other offerings for sin. God is not pleased with it. Remember I said, why God put it in place? It's a shadow. You see, a shadow doesn't even show you your nose. I mean everything. The shadow simply shows you your, doesn't show you your color. Christ is the reality. But the shadow shows you what it looks like. When Christ came, he's the light that showed everything. He's the light that showed us everything. So he said in verse 9, sorry, verse 8. First, Christ said, you did not want animal sacrifices or sin offerings or burnt offerings or other offerings for sin, nor were you pleased with them. Though they are required by the law of Moses. Then he said, look, I have come to do your will. I've come to execute your plan. He canceled the first covenant in order to put the second into effect. Verse 10. For God's will, listen to me. God will listen to this now. For God's will was to, for us to be made holy by the sacrifice of the body of Jesus once and for all. That's how God said, I'll make you righteous. To make us acceptable, to make us holy through that sacrifice. What can take away my sin? Nothing. But that blood. Oh, by singing that, you're saying nothing can make me acceptable to God except the blood of Jesus. That's what you're saying. You turn around after singing it, you think your goodness can take the place of the blood to bring you to God. See, we sing things we don't believe, we don't even understand. When you sing that song, you're confessing that nothing will make me righteous. Nothing will make me acceptable to God except that blood. Because that blood is the thing that makes me clean enough so that when I come before God, God sees no iniquity in us. It washes me of all unrighteousness. Now let's read about the witness of the apostles of the Lord. What they said. Galatians 2.16. Knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law. We know why. Because the works of the law cannot take away our sins. You can't can redeem, redeem me from the sins I've committed. And we still commit sins. Tongue, uncle. 
heart. Knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith of Jesus Christ. Even we have believed in Jesus Christ that we might be justified by faith. This is Paul. And not by the works of the law, for by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. It's not possible. Because it can't take away. You can't pay for your sins by being good and being this and being that. You know, I say this at the beginning. Some people think, you know, yeah, Jesus is helping me, Lord. Help me, give me grace to do this. And then they think in their heart that because they are not good, God will not accept them. No. <laughs> no. Because all that thing you are packaging and showing to God is not the basis of your righteousness. It's faith in Christ. Alone. Again, you sing, walk and wash away my sin. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. When you come to God, why do you say in Jesus' name? You are simply saying it's my righteousness. Why not go to the devil and say in my name, devil, I command you. See what he will tell you. See where you stand. Christ is our hope in this world. It's our righteousness. It's our wisdom. It's our all in all. It's all that matters in this life. A Christian must understand that. Don't be pushed away from your faith in Christ, where you stand on Christ. When you do that, the scriptures say you will not be put to shame. That's when his power will start working in your life. In full throttle, all six cylinders are firing. You find the power that can take care of your sin. Because God sent him to really take care of us, our body, this flesh. Came to take care of him. You can't take care of him. He's the one. The Bible says, by the power of the Spirit to put to death this thing. Christ is the power of God. He's living in us by his spirit. The Holy Spirit is the spirit of God and the spirit of Christ. He looked at us and said, <laughs> say, look, all this is your struggle. Give it to me. Go and rest. Take my rest. Paul said, I tried to keep the law. He said, I, I, I condemn me, so I stopped. I saw that I wouldn't help me. So I started putting my faith in Christ alone. No. He's the one that's my strength. He's the one that is my life. He's the one that is everything I know. In him, he said, I'm dead. I'm going to look at his life, how effective he was, the much influence he brought into the, into, into, into the world that the Spirit used him. And God is not respect of persons. When we exalt Jesus in our life, we get, we, we get lifted up with him too. Acts 13, 18. I mean, 13, 38. Brothers, listen. This is St. Paul writing. Brothers, listen. We are here to proclaim that through this man, Jesus, there is forgiveness for your sins. And once sins are forgiven, they are accepted by God. He said, there's forgiveness for your sins. Everyone who believes in him is declared right with God. Oh, let me read this one. Everyone who believes in him is made right in God's sight, something the law of Moses could never do. Why? The law of Moses could not take away sin. Sin is the issue. God looked at that and said, hmm, it has fault. 
Jesus said, I've come to do your will, to bring your people to you, people you love, people you created, you love them. I came to take away their sins as they blockade, pour them with my blood so they become righteous before you, so they can come to you. And when they come, you make them what you want them. I don't know if I finish that Hebrew chapter 19. I think I stopped at 15. At uh, 14. It says, uh, verse 13, under the old system, the blood of goats and bulls and ashes of a young cow could cleanse people, blood of bulls and ashes of a young cow could cleanse people's bodies from ceremonial impurities. It's ceremonial something, shadow. Then he says, verse 14, just think how much more the blood of Christ will purify your conscience from sinful deeds till we can worship the living God. For by the power of the eternal spirit, Christ offered himself to God as a perfect sacrifice for our sins. That is why he is the one who made this a new covenant between God and people. This covenant is based on his blood, on his ability to take away our sins so that we can come to God and they begin a new relationship with God based on mercy, based on the blood. That's why he's the guarantor of it because he paid it. He paid, he redeemed us for God. Brought us to God. So that all who call, who are called can receive the eternal inheritance God has promised them. For Christ died to set them free from the penalty of the sins they have committed under the first covenant. Under the first covenant is because the Lord defines sin. The Bible says, through the law is the knowledge of sin. Romans 5.15. So, but there is a great difference between Adam's sin and God's gracious gift. For the sin of this one man, Adam, brought death to many. But even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of forgiveness to many through this other man, Jesus Christ. 16. And the result of God's gracious gift is, every, is very different from the result of that one man's sin. For Adam's sin later condemnation. Nothing could save us from it. In Adam, everybody sinned. And since we sinned, and nothing could handle it, we remained under condemnation. That's what they say. We remained under condemnation. That's why the Bible calls it the ministry, called the law the ministry of death and ministry of condemnation because the law could not provide answer to sin. Couldn't. So we were so all condemned. He says, system, the result of God's gracious gift is very different from the result of, of that one man's sin. For Adam's sin led to condemnation, but Christ's free gift leads, us, leads to our being made right with God. Even though we are guilty of many sins, but he paid for it. Redeemed us from all the penalty of it. And we rush to God. <laughs> I say, nobody coming to my father except through me. For the sin of this verse, verse, verse 17. For the sin of this one man, Adam, caused death to rule over many. But even greater is God's wonderful grace 
uh, his gift of righteousness. Gift of righteousness. Gift is gift. Gift, you don't do anything. Gift is the decision of the one that gave it. Gift is gift. Gift of righteousness for all who receive it. We live in triumph over sin and death. Through this one man, Jesus Christ. Yes, Adam's one sin brought, brings condemnation for everyone. But Christ's one act of righteousness brings a right relationship with God. A new life for everyone. Without this new life, you can't live. You can't do the will of. You can't live the will of God. The Bible says we are created new, so we can do the thing that God prepared for us without being accepted. You can't be created new because light and darkness don't meet. There is no meeting point between unrighteousness and righteousness. As long as you're unrighteous, there's no meeting point between you and God. None. You have to make us righteous so we can fellowship with him. He will create us new. Give us new life. Give us his spirit. Teach us the ways of life so we can make choices as the spirit of God guides us. This is why the gift of righteousness makes you live in triumph over sin and Satan. Because ignorance will destroy you. Ah, people say, no, no, no. It will make people come and say, no, no, no. It is when you don't have that righteousness, you are in trouble. Because you are not in fellowship with God. Why are you a slave to sin? Nineteen, because of one, one person disobeyed God, many became sinners. But because one person obeyed God, many will be made righteous. How many times will the Holy Spirit write this thing? How many times? And we have nothing to contribute to that. Stop thinking about your own goodness and things when you deal with God. Think about Christ and what he did to redeem you. Think about the gift of righteousness. His mercy. It's of God's mercy we are not consumed. And his mercy endure it forever. Think about the blood that was shed for you. Think about what he did. Not what you are doing. Because not, nothing you do redeemed you. Nothing you do can stay redeemed. You can fast from now until December. It won't pay for your sin. That's why Paul said, I found that, oh, he said, I used to think that this is what anything. He said, no, no, no. He said, that junk so that I can, I can gain Christ. He said, they don't bring me to Christ. He said, this righteousness, self-righteousness, I don't want it. He said, the one I want is the one God gives. So I can come to Christ, I have fellowship with him, so I can win Christ, so I can have uninterrupted fellowship with him. Whatever does not give you access to God, why do you want it? Why are you looking at it? The devil is very wicked. He will appoint you to these things that are religious, but they won't give you access to God. Because access to God comes only through Christ. Now, there's a warning for those who won't believe this. Thing. So there are people, oh. <laughs> that's why wrong doctrine is dangerous. Very dangerous. Up to today, when I dress well, I still feel guilty. Because I have this wrong doctrine that humility is poverty. You don't have to own anything. It's worldliness to dress well. And I'm fighting it. Wrong doctrine is dangerous. Get away from it. It can destroy your faith. It can ruin your life. 
I'm not kidding you. If it's not the truth, it won't set you free. You can argue all you want to. As long as it's not the truth, it won't, it won't set you free. It will, it will keep, it may you keep you in ignorance and the devil will have freedom in that area. You can have it in some other areas where you know the truth, but some other areas you don't have the truth, you, you're in trouble there. And that is enough to rake you. It is enough to rake you. That's why it's important to pray hard, make effort to have proper interpretation. Let the Holy Spirit teach you scripture. And be careful who you are listening to. Jesus said, be careful how you hear. Be careful how you hear. Look at uh, warning to those who will not receive this. Luke 7, 41. There was a certain creditor which had two debtors. The one owed 500 pence, the other 50. And when they had nothing to pay, we have nothing to pay. <laughs> He's talking about us. So since you have nothing to pay for your sins, so why are you, why are you trying? Is it your goodness that will pay for it or what? Won't pay for it. He frankly forgave them both. Tell me therefore, which, which of them will love him most? Is he not somebody that appreciates the mercy of God on him, that will love God? And if you love God, the love of God will control your life. Jesus said, if you love me, that's when you do what I say. Say, those who love me, do what I say. So you see, when you develop your love for him, love him because you, you, he first loved you. And you begin to love him for this gift of righteousness. You don't merit. Somebody say, what manner of love is this that we are called sons of God? When you begin to love God, you won't, you won't do what God's. Look, it's love that motivates you. And love is the, is the motive that God really accepts. Because love makes you trust God. When you are led and inspired by the love of God, you won't live in sin. Because the Bible said that love does not commit evil. Very simple thing. Very simple. You reject it. You reject the love of God. Then you want to go and earn everything from God. You earn nothing. Because he's fully paid for. Galatians 5, 4. Christ is become of no effect unto you. Whoever of you are justified by the law, you are fallen from grace. Because you rejected it. You say, I don't want it. <laughs> I want to show God how good I am. I want to prove to God I'm, I'm as holy as him. The Bible said, then you have rejected grace, and without grace, you have no connection with God. You just cut yourself out of all the blessings of God. Because the Bible said, it is through faith we, we go into this grace that God has given us. All these things are act of his mercy. He said, I will have mercy on them. I will show them unmerited favor. But you reject it. And they say you have fallen. He said, Christ will become of no effect unto you. When Christ is no effect unto a person, healing is not good there. Because everything he offers you is not going to work. That's why I said you should understand righteousness and be strong in it. Because the devil will come and try to confuse you and try to make you think, no, 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 no. no. Tell him, mm, it's not like that. The thing that dealt with my sin is his blood. And that's why I trust. Because that's the foundation of the covenant. He shortens it because he paid for it all. And whatever I am, he will make me. I don't need you to come and tell me, Satan, shut up. He that started the good works in you 
will complete it. You didn't start it. You want to bother yourself. He started it. He completed it. We are kept by the power of God. Christ is the power of God. Galatians 3. But those who depend on the law to make them right with God are under his cause. How can anybody read this and not run away from it? Acts 13, 38. I'm just cutting it short because of the time. Brothers, listen. Paul knows how to write. Say, brothers, listen. We are here to proclaim that through this man, Jesus Christ, is forgiveness for your sins. Everyone who believes in him is declared right with God. Something the Lord of Moses could never do. But be careful, oh, don't let the prophet's word apply to you. For they said, look, you mockers, you mock this, be amazed and die. For I am doing something in your own day, something you wouldn't believe, if, if, even if somebody told you about it. Paul said, I'm warning you. Don't mock this thing. You don't have any other way of being righteous. There's no other way. What can take away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. You don't have any other way. So when you reject the only way, you're stuck. You're in limbo. Thank God, many people even believe them. You know, he says, uh, verse 42, as Paul and Barnabas left the synagogue that day, the people begged them to speak about these things again next week. You see what the scripture says? Repeat these things. Teach it again. They said, teach it again. We need to understand it better. Teach it again. Let me, let's read some of the benefits of this gift of righteousness. We mentioned some of them, but let's, let's look, look at the scripture. Philippians 1, 9. And this I pray, that your love may abound still more and more in knowledge, and all this I mean, verse 10, that you may approve the things that are excellent, that you may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness, Being filled with the proof. These are the prayer topics that are here. Prayer of consecration that the Holy Spirit put there for the church to pray. No, they won't pray. Have they finished running after Satan? He said, This I pray that your love may abound still more and more in knowledge and all discernment. That you may prove, approve the things that are excellent. You approve the things that are correct and truth. Not the things that are lies, the things that are correct and truth. That you may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ, being filled. What are you going to be filled with? Being filled with the fruits of righteousness. There are fruits that come out of your being made righteous in you, bringing you close to God. There is something, there's a fruit it produces in your life. Some, some, verse, some 
Translation call it the fruit of your salvation. But salvation is because your sins are forgiven. Fruit of, with, uh, fruit of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. It has fruits in your life that brings glory to God. Because of this righteousness, now we are joined to Christ. We have intimacy with him. And he says like vine and the, the branch. The intimacy is the joining. So the life of Christ flows through you. Like I said, if you're unrighteous, you, there's no, the, the Bible says, where is the fellowship between unrighteousness and, right, unrighteousness and righteousness? Between darkness and light. No. God will forgive you can't you righteous, so you become to the fellowship with this, with light will be, you become in fellowship with him. It brings you because you accept it. In this fellowship of the, the vine and the branch, the life of the vine starts flowing through you. And the natural product will be the life that is in this one. It will flow through. No effort. We're flowing. Second Corinthians 6, 14. Be not Unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship had unrighteousness with unrighteousness? See what we're saying? And what communion had light with darkness? We read the Romans 7 4. So, my dear brothers and sisters, this is the point. You died with the you died to the power of the law when you died with Christ. And now you are united with the one. Who was raised from the dead? Why are you united? Why are you united with him? Because God has made you righteous. Otherwise, there is no fellowship between righteousness and unrighteousness. Because now He made you righteous. You are now united with Him. And let's read. And now you are united with the one who was raised from the dead. As a result of this uniting, we can produce a harvest of good deeds for God. So it doesn't make you commit sin. He makes you produce a harvest of good deeds. Because you are now united. When we were controlled by our own nature, when we were unrighteous, sinful desires were at work within us, and the law aroused these evil desires that produced a harvest of sinful deeds, resulting in death. But now, we've been released from the law. If we don't follow that old system, it's gone. For we die to it and are no longer captive to its power. Now we can serve God not in the old way of obeying the letters of the law, but in a new way of living in the spirit. Living by faith in Christ. Well, we, read, we read this one that says, uh, For the sin of this one man, Adam, caused it to rule over many, but even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of righteousness for all who receive it. We live in triumph over sin and death through this one man, Christ Jesus, because they are united with him, become the strength of their life. They can do all things through him now. And then, you know, it gives you boldness. I mean, guilt will kill your faith. Fear will destroy your faith. But righteousness will make you bold. Look at Proverbs 28. The wicked flee when no man persuades them. You see, when you, when you feel guilty, you run away from God. You remember Adam and Eve? Immediately God, God came, they ran away. 
They ran. They started hiding. That spirit will never give you victory over anything. Because you, you lost your sense of righteousness and you, became, you have the consciousness of sin. How about the blood? How about the sacrifice on the cross that made you righteous before God? Okay, the wicked flee when no man persuade, but the righteous are as bold as a lion. So the Bible says, come boldly. Why? God has made us acceptable to him. He called, you didn't call yourself. It was his way. Why? He loves us so much. He craves you. He wants that righteousness. I mean, that righteousness for you. So you come. The Bible said Christ brought God's children back to him. That's why there's rejoicing in heaven when one sinner is changes. God loves us so much that heaven is always rejoicing when one of his creatures come back. They say, wow, you know, all the angels, they'll be rejoicing and they'll be very excited. The question I'm asking is, do we rejoice doing this? Do we rejoice that we are righteous, that we are back to daddy, that we are one with him, that nothing will separate us from the love of God? He will never leave you, will never forsake you. No, 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 the blood speaks for you all the time. The Lord will help us in Jesus' name. Let's pray. Father, we want to thank you for, again, taking us through this very important topic. Trust you to open our eyes, Lord. Jesus said, flesh and blood cannot teach you these things. Only you, Father, can do this. So that we can walk in the boldness. Walk in the boldness that you gave us in Christ. So we can walk with full assurance of faith. And our faith is our victory. Our faith is always our victory over sin, over the devil. Our faith makes our prayer work. So we can walk in this faith that is strong and rooted in Christ Jesus. So our joy will be full. And we bear fruits for your glory. Thank you, merciful Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.